The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. And we're back. And let me tell you something. My knives, they're out. Been out. Been out. Knives been out. The plays on just the title of Knives Out that have happened on Twitter, your Twitter and Hunter Harris's Twitter, (laughs) there's like only two versions of it, but you guys keep finding new ways to state them. Let me tell you, keep it. Our knives are out. Right. They're not in. They're out. That's literally all of the jokes about them. And yet you inundate us. You know what that's called? Talent. Oh, oh I've, mm, I had other ideas. Phenomenal. Anyway. Uh, Love Knives Out. What a wonderful movie. You went to see it. Went to see it. I think I worship Ryan Johnson now. Ryan Johnson is the moment. Yeah, he's doing well. He's like the one, he's the honorary white man that I'm going to have to be like, oh, okay, you slipped on through. You're amazing. I think mm. this is my favorite movie of his. Even though, like, I wasn't a huge fan of Looper. I don't know what a Star Wars is. But um, <laughs> Laura I, Dern is in that film. And I know where she allegedly can't stop herself from saying pew pew while she uses pew, pew. weapons. Um, but I will say about Knives Out, I kind of felt the ending of it didn't go the distance. Watch your mouth. I just want to say, like, to me, it's a movie that feels like Octavia Spencer as Ma should have been the killer. At the last moment. I don't know how we could have incorporated her, but I needed it to go t- to even a zanier place. Okay. I disagree. Really? I feel like at the very end when it was unraveling, it was a little too long, maybe, and that's my only critique of it. Like, I had a hard time keeping everything straight, but that just means it's rewatchable. Right, because my favorite part <laughs> is it really parodies the drawing room mystery reveal that happens in horror movies. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I thought, I thought that it kept building and building. But, like Agatha Christie who? Mm-hmm. Excuse me? Never heard of her. <laughs> Never heard that name. Uh, I just, I'll say this. I think the best performance in the movie, which not many people are talking about, is Christopher Plummer. As the which pers- one is he? He's the one who is murdered in the movie. He's Harlan. Yeah, oh. The father. He did kill it. Yeah. He's sweet, endearing, funny. He's Yeah, I really like him in that Real movie. handsome. Yeah. He is very, very good. But also, like, if you're Jamie Lee Curtis, what's going on in this movie? You didn't have enough to do. Besides That's true. wear a striking... You know, pantsuit, which I want her to do, but Tony Collette did the damn thing. True, but the entire point of the mysteries, right? Like the Agatha Christie movies, etc. There's so many characters because you need so many suspects, and I think everyone just had a really fun time playing a wild character who maybe who done it, you know. And mm-hmm. I would rather those be played by fun actors who know what they're doing in a film than him casting it with a bunch of people who like aren't great no i mean i'm happy to see her and i i would be if you had told me well she was taken out of the film i would be very upset but i just i want a little bit more jamie lee spiciness when i see jamie lee curtis i get that you know i get that i thought that tony collette was iconic in this film her like languid eyed kind of malaise about everything was pretty good. She did better as a ditz than I expected from her. Mm-hmm. Because as you know, Tony Collette is one of these obvious genius people. So yeah. I, don't, I didn't think I would believe it. Well, what I really also enjoyed was 
Daniel Craig singing a song from Follies in it. What song? Um, Losing My Mind. Oh, my God. The one he's singing <laughs> in the car. I don't want to spoil too many things for people, but it was also a nod from Ryan Johnson to The Last of Sheila because he is a big mystery fan, and you know Last of Sheila. Lewis. Oh, yes, which is co-written by Stephen Sondheim and Anthony Perkins. Perkins. I don't love that movie, by the way, but... I really enjoy it, and I, I, I it's weird to... I was talking... <clears throat> If you're a Sondheim fan, you know that at what point he was sort of like, should I stop writing musicals and just do whodunits? Because he loves whodunits mm-hmm. and mysteries. And I thought that it was a fun nod to him. By the way, what that's a specifically gay crisis of conscience. Should yeah. I give it all up to write whodunits? That's how you know. That's when you have to come out to your mom. When you're like, I could devote my entire life to things called the mirror cracked. I mean, that's what happened with me and my mom at 15. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I said, Mom... Let me tell you something about the ladies in my life. They vanish. Mm. Now, here's a whodunit. Who concussed you at a young age? Because (laughs) the effects are still with us. Well, I actually was hit by a Voss as a child. Uh, What? It fell on me from the television as I was watching Price is Right. Really? Like shaking the television and excitement? I was reaching for something, and it slid back and hit me, and it's why I have a scar on my face to this day. Wow. Wait, a game show related injury in your is it possible I did it and that I'm happy for me? Wow. Aida, you're the detective who was hired to be here. Wow. James Schmade. I'm really trying to do the Daniel Craig. I think it's a Creole accent. Is that what it is? Oh my God, I'm turning into Ira. Oh no. Some friend of mine pointed out that that role normally would be played by Kevin Spacey for sure. But we are done with Kevin yeah. Spacey, obviously. So now it's Daniel Craig. That's are we? I, you never know. Again, cancellation and ongoing process. I'm still holding out for American Beauty too. Oh God, yeah, please. Still Beauty. K-Pax too? Still Beauty. Beauty harder. <laughs> anyway, should we get this show started? Oh, I guess. All right. We will be joined today by Sophia Bush. Whom I love. I, we met, or I met randomly one day and was delighted with every second of it. Brooke Ben Davis. Mm-hmm. And we will talk about that. Uh, and also, we're going to talk about the maybe feud between Dakota Johnson and Ellen DeGeneres. Disturbing how exciting this was for me. The knives were out. If, if you will. And... We're going to talk about Gabrielle Union's exit from America's Got Talent. Oh, Lord. It's the best show on television. It's a shame it had to go down like this. <laughs> I have a lot of questions about this. Mostly, I don't think America does have that much talent. Uh, right. It, it comes down to a question, ultimately. Yeah. Talent for genocide. <laughs> That's more of an affinity. We'll be right back. NBC, you got some splitting to do. Can you do that accent? Probably not. I guess I, I don't feel wonderful about it. Like politically or you mean physically? A little bit of both. <laughs> Probably. Okay. I'm just doing Ricky Ricardo. And the, I, on I, the first episode of Keep It, I made a joke about we had, whatever, Prosecco with us. And I sipped it and I said, oh, I'm getting drunk in the afternoon like Desi or Naz. That reference always plays. Mm. <laughs> anyway, just to let you know. <laughs> he did love getting drunk. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. He's also a little scary. The knives and the bottles were out. That was my first uh, feminist moment. Okay, we'll get to the topic in a second. My mom, I would watch I Love Lucy, and my mom would go, how about in every episode the women are so stupid, and then the men get to call them stupid? I was like, oh yeah, right. A big awakening moment for you. <laughs> yeah, and now I am the person I am. But also, how about in every episode, they never had plots? 
Uh, what what were you... Fred and Ricky doing? Who gave a fuck? No, no, Fred just had nothing to do. Tuck his shirt into his pants. I had no idea what he was doing all day. Just sitting at home waiting to vote for Trump. Right. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but getting back to NBC, over the weekend, SAG-AFTRA, I love my union, launched an investigation into America's Got Talent following NBC's announcement that both Gabrielle Union and fellow judge Julianne Huff would be leaving the show after one season. Gabrielle and her husband, in particular, Dwayne Wade, have been very vocal about her departure not being an amicable one. Mm. Sheesh. This is no good. This is very... Anything Gabrielle Union does, I will support her because she's a black girl from Nebraska, which I just recently found out, actually. Oh, she's a Nebraskan. She's a Nebraskan. That's it. I'm okay with calling Dwayne Wade and Gabrielle Union the king and queen of social media. I just enjoy what they do. I love yeah. them. As an aside, I just want to point out how wonderful they've been to their son, Zion Wade. And I know that that sounds sort of like bare minimum asking, oh, thank you for being wonderful to your queer son who is just outwardly expressing himself, whatever his identity may turn out to be when he gets older. It is just nice seeing a prominent black mother and a prominent black father who is a former basketball player, you know, like one of the most masculine mm-hmm. professions you can have, just supporting his son in a way that many fathers, any race, yeah, don't do. But, uh, you know, especially in the black community, it is, you're entirely right to see such a big figurehead like him, someone who's worth millions and millions and millions of dollars, who, who a lot of black men look up to unabashedly supporting his queer son, like, mm-hmm. like we said. And then back to the story, I love how vocal he's being in supporting his wife in this incident, which has so many layers of mess to it. So let's first get into the incident starting the firing, which include Jay Leno appearing as a guest on the show. Lewis's favorite comedian. That's <laughs> <laughs> where I learned everything Your I know. Your source code. <laughs> My denim shirted humor. <laughs> According to Variety, while taping, Leno made a joke about a painting in the studio's hallway of Simon Cowell surrounded by his dogs, saying the dogs looked like something you'd see on the menu at a Korean restaurant. Well, Shane Gillis got fired from SNL and apparently went to do punch-up jokes for Jay Leno. (laughs) What in the Miss Swan type of entertainment behavior is this? It's definitely a joke you make when your whole brand peaked in 1996. Exactly. Exactly. After this, Gabrielle urged the producers to report the joke to HR. Um, Many people on the staff found it offensive, including one of the show's very few Asian staffers. That's a quote. Uh, That's a quote. Uh, That is a pointed quote. It didn't get reported, but the line was cut from the episode when it aired on August 6th. Well, few. I mean, God, I can't believe we had to miss out on that wonderful, informative joke. Jay Leno always teaching is how I feel about him. Truly. Then there were also multiple reports of Gabrielle being told that her rotating hairstyles were, quote, too black for the audience of America's Got Talent. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. That is so offensive. That is ridiculously offensive. And especially because as black women, we have to wear different protective styles to keep our hair healthy because it is so... Our hair requires so much upkeep. You know, the braids, all the twists, all the things that we do. It's not even always to make it look good. It's to keep it down and keep it out of the way. So this is so racially... If that's That's... Oh, my God. I can't even process that. That is so bad. at the same time, keep it down, Aida. I mean, like, God, it's so annoying to the rest of us. I can't even watch a television if the hair changes on it. How dare you? What an insane thing to tell a human being. Yeah. 
Also, too black. Too black. What does that mean? They I notice she is black, so I feel like those things go hand in hand. You know, if she wears her hair a different way, the audience might be reminded that she's black, though. Because oh. I, I don't think you realize how you have to do specifically black things to remind an audience you're black. Case in point, mm-hmm. after Single Ladies, people thought Beyonce was just a, a fun white woman making, mm-hmm. making bops, right? And then... Formation happened, and people were like, They went underground. They went underground. Wait a second. (laughs) In one of the wildest stories, actually, Gabrielle apparently expressed concern about one white male performer on the show whose act involved impersonations of famous singers. And at one point, this person portrayed the aforementioned Beyonce, and part of his costume was coloring his hands black. What is going on in America's Got Talent? <laughs> what is happening? America's got a, a shitty history. I mean, it's what's going on here. This is nuts, right? It's nuts. No, this is, yeah, this is wild. America's got to stop. That's what needs to happen. <laughs> the show needs to stop. I mean, I hate to say I'm curious, but what the hell could the act possibly be? Sorry, don't, nobody send in ideas. I have no, no. idea what happened there. <laughs> well, the uh, studio audience apparently saw it, but it was removed from the show. And still, and Gabrielle was rightfully pissed off about that, too. Why should that person get to perform that mm-hmm. for anybody? Somebody yeah. has a camera drawn, whatever. It can get out. There have been other reports. Um, one of them was that Gabrielle apparently had to tell producer of the show, Simon Cowell, to stop chain smoking indoors. He also needs to stop wearing those goddamn Henleys, of course. <laughs> There's a lot he needs to stop doing. The Henley peddler himself. Hen- wearing Henley should also be illegal, just like smoking indoors is. Like, right. how is it even a problem that she complains about something that is an actual violation in her workplace? You know, and that smoke gets everywhere. Like, I think everything Gabrielle's saying has been so justified. And it's just a reminder to the fact that nobody's listening to black women, even when they are correct. Like, they're speaking facts about the situation. And it's like, oh, no, shut your black ass up (laughs) you know like there's no reason for this and there's also it's i'm sure that very familiar to poc uh certainly familiar to queer people thing of you're on a job you're the deep minority there Mm -hmm. and then you feel self-assigned to police situations mandel's also a minority oh quite literally just a ufo i'm pretty sure (laughs) (laughs) who by the way will never be fired i guess can i just say something about howie mandel how many people under the age of i'll go 35 i'll i'll ask you aida do you know why howie mandel is famous I only know this because I'm a stand-up comic. Yeah. And then I know about Deal or No Deal. Right. But that's it. Right. No, he he was a wild, lewd stand-up in the 80s. Which I've never seen. Right. He would blow up a, a, a latex glove and put it on his head. And like, in a, in a cartoonish, kind of psychotic voice, say things like, I have a boner. That was the, that was the comedy then. Happy 1981. <laughs> he was a voice on Muppet Babies. He did a show called Bobby's World. And he was on a drama called St. Elsewhere. Mm. Okay, that was... That leads us to about 1989. It is 2019, and we just let him hang out and pretend like he's a relevant person who should be judging talent. For us, Lewis, I feel like Howie Mandel, if you're not a comedian um, connoisseur, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, you probably recognize him the most from those weird series of commercials he always did in the 90s. Right, right. For, like, Boston Pizza and other shit. I feel like Terry Hatcher was in one with him. And and where is she? Not on a panel making millions of dollars a year. You know what I'm saying? But you're right. Howie's been on that show for, like, 10 years. I feel Mm. like. He's been been there for consecutive seasons, and it just feels like they recycle women out. Like, they're like, oh, here's a new woman. Here, she's... Even younger than the last one. Right. She, and, and and Howard Stern has said as much. Former America's Got Talent uh, judge Howard Stern, who basically said, Simon, 
uh, exchanges the women and keeps the men, no matter, I, these are his words, how ugly they are, which is I love a phrasing Stern. I appreciate, weirdly, from Howard Stern. <laughs> right. Who would have expected that Howard Stern would come to Gabrielle Union's defense? Yeah, yeah. right. When Howard Stern is dragging you, Simon, let's give it up. Yeah. <laughs> I would also point out the whack solidarity she's gotten from some people who should be a bit more in her corner. Let's talk about Julianne Huff. What'd she say? Well, first of all, her statement to Variety denied the fact that she had received constant criticism on her hair, makeup, and wardrobe as well. And she said, I had a wonderful time on America's Got Talent. I loved working with the cast, crew, and producers. I am happy to continue my working relationship with NBC. She also expressed excitement for two upcoming NBC shows she'll be featured in, Holiday with the Huffs, co-starring her brother Derek, and Christmas in Rockefeller Center in December. I'm looking forward to what the future holds. You're looking forward to protecting that bag, Sid. Yes, <laughs> and your relationship. Nothing happened to me on this NBC show. By the way, I have two more NBC shows coming out. Oh my God, this traitor stick of margarine, Julianne Huff. Here's some reasons also to be mad at Julianne Huff. Her black One, face. What, there was that. Which she went as crazy eyes for Halloween. Never forget, but also never forget the Rock of Ages movie, which I believe is the worst movie I saw this decade. Have, did you see that? Yes. Uh, Catherine Zeta, forgive me. I thought you did a great job. Everybody Mary else, J. Blige. Everybody else, get to Nuremberg. <laughs> <laughs> Mary J. Blige did what she had to do in that movie. Which was that one scene where she sang some hair ballad. Yeah. Um, so that, the Footloose remake starring uh, Julianne Huff and my favorite movie star, Kenny Wormald. I didn't mind the Footloose remake. I was going to well, say, I actually, re- well, that was Miles first Teller, time. I thought, slayed in that movie. Mm-hmm. Miles Teller is amazing in everything he's ever done. Me, I agree. Whiplash, <laughs> top 10 for the decade yes. for me. Although, Footloose, the movie remake, is one of those weird movies where they remake a movie that's very culturally white and include black people in it, and then it doesn't make sense for any of these black people to be in it, because the movie Footloose is based on a preacher right, banning like a, dance. Yeah, and correct. I'm just, I, I don't know how that flies in a city with that many black people in it in the remake of it. Wow. we That movie needed a dramaturg. You're right. Good it call. It truly did. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, uh, it's just Julianne Huff is somebody we've invested in as a star time and time again. Greece? She was in Greece? Oh, yes. She was okay in Greece. Yeah. She was not that great opposite Vanessa Hudgens, who slayed, mm. although. I now have to take my sneakers off. No, <laughs> oh, more, yeah. no more sneaker night. Because Vanessa no. Hudgens said she would love to do a movie no. with Woody Allen. She did. She did say that. Let me just remind people that Sneaker Night is an actual single by Vanessa Hudgens. A beautiful song, too. Which, Wonderfully constructed. Which has the uh, poet laureate winning lyrics of 1984. Basically, what we're going to do is dance. Basically, what we're going to do is dance. It will come easily when you hear the beat. I think that counts as haiku. <laughs> it's a few syllables long, but we can retract. We took a little break for Thanksgiving, and we completely missed that Vanessa thing. Mm-hmm. We completely missed Miss Scarlett Johansson doing an interview where she defended Woody Allen again, too. Right. 
They're what friends, is guys. They're friends. I don't friends. get it. This man is near death. They were Why like, do we have to keep defending him? Stop. Slow news week. Stop. Let me throw out all my Spice Woody Allen defenses. Right. Guys, you... Scarlett Johansson, I know you saw Wonder Wheel. We are done with Woody Allen, just on a substance level. <laughs> you don't have to keep caping. Uh, a special extra early keep it to Marvel for the Black Widow trailer, which just came out, which features Florence Pugh mm. in it, and Rachel Wise. Uh-huh. So clearly I'm going to be seeing this movie. Um, lastly, I would just say that another person who disappointed me was Terry Crews who seems to have lost all of the activism that was brewing up in him when he was on the other side of it. Because he tweeted to Gabrielle, you're the best, Gabrielle. You will be missed. Wow. What a have a nice summer of tweets. I'm going to say, what a Kirstie Alley, Stephen Hawking obit. Thanks for your input. <laughs> Guys, look up that tweet. You know, I don't think tweet. I sense the snark in that. Is there, do you feel it? Well, there's not snark, but it's, you're the best, Gabrielle. You will be missed, which is just... There's lack I, of solidarity it's, it's, there. It's lame. Yeah. It's, it's so bare minimum, especially since during Terry's assault incident, she tweeted, Terry Crews is a stand-up guy, literally one of the nicest people in our industry. He is honest, kind, and a true professional. I believe him and stand by him. Hashtag, me too. And... He even gave an interview where he talked about how, while some black men met his story with ridicule and judgment, he says that black women supported him the most after his sexual assault. Of course we did. Yeah, so seeing that bare minimum tweet to Gabrielle, it was like, why even bother? Yeah. Mm -hmm. By the way, always remember Gabrielle Union the time she was asked about Stacey Dash, and she responded with fake incredulity, and she said, you mean... Damon Dash? And then they <laughs> went on a comic monologue that seemed entirely improvised. Mm-hmm. That's Slade. She is so very pe- funny. She's celebrities hilarious. who give you quotes, always be appreciating, please. For more anecdotes like that, you should read We're Going to Need More Wine, her uh, memoir, which is hilarious too and actually very poignant. And I just hope that this thing gets resolved in a good way. Sure. Yeah. Get your money. Get your bag, Gabrielle. Get SAG to get you your money for being fired. By the way, before we wrap this up, isn't it crazy to think Simon Cowell is still doing this damn thing? Mm-hmm. I think of him as like a celebrity who peaked in the 2000s, and yeah. we all appreciated mm-hmm. his, you know, anger and snarkiness then, but it goes on. He continues to do the exact same thing, and we're just sort of, you know, over it, but I'm sure he's making nine figures a year or something. And do the winners of those shows even go on to have careers anymore? Are we at the point where we're supporting them? Oh, God, no. I can't think I of anyone. I don't know what you win for America's Got Talent. Mm-mm. If anything, you go down a couple ranks. Yeah. No. Remember, you get your visa. <laughs> America's still hurting from when we tried X Factor all those years ago. Guys, it's not for us. It's not for us. It's still on. I know. Well, I mean, that in Britain they have. Yes. That makes sense. They love loud things. Yes. They just got a Pussycat Dolls reunion. Right. Oh, God, I'm so jealous of that. Did you guys know that the Pussycat Dolls have never released a bad single? Never. It's really crazy. And the best? Beep. Buttons. I, oh, Buttons. Oh, I think wow. Buttons does top Beep, though Beep is funnier. Wow. Yeah. It's funny and how a man only thinks about the... Ding. Do you remember when Danity Kane tried to do what Pussycat Dolls did? And they didn't. Okay, well, you know what? We're going to end this segment because I will not take any <laughs> Danity Kane slander. They have one good song. Thank you so much for playing yet again. Uh, I think the best Pussycat Dolls song, though, is I Hate This Part. I love a ballad that's also danceable. Mm. Sam Smith finally discovered that. You know what I'm saying? Stick in that lane. Well, stick with us. <laughs> we'll be right back with Sophia Bush. Sophia Bush. 
Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams' soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. <laughs> Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have it always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Oren Siegel, and I've been fighting extremism, anti-Semitism, and hate for more than 20 years. You should subscribe to our podcast, Extremely, to get a unique perspective on the daily work and the people who have dedicated their lives to exposing, fighting, and disrupting extremism, anti-Semitism, and all forms of hate. We bring you the stories of people and communities not only impacted by hate, but who offer new perspectives and ways to push back. You can find Extremely wherever you listen to podcasts. Lewis and I are delighted to be sitting down with Sophia Bush. Hello. Good morning. I have. You're such a pleasure. I just want to see you walk into a room and it's like, 
vavavoom. Like, I love her. She's Thank so full you. of life. I'm just relieved that you all like to hug as much as I do, because otherwise it would be awkward. Oh, yeah. No. And by the way, I'm generally speaking cold in German. So it's lucky Great. that, but you inspire me. So Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I try. <laughs> we call him Louis Das Boot. <laughs> but before we get to the niceties, okay. I have some questions. questions. Oh, go right ahead. You started your new podcast, I did. Work in Progress. Yes. What made you want to jump into the game and go against Keep It? I mean, I never want to go against you. (laughs) I just, I consider us to be comrades in arms, you know? I have always been so, firstly, curious. And second, I love to have really deep conversations. I love to ask questions, and I love people to ask questions of me. And it's funny, I was just listening, um, Krista Tippett interviewed Jericho Brown, and he Mm. was talking about how he loves to tell people that he's a poet, Because people freak out because they're like, oh, you want to ask all those deep questions and shit about life and you think that's fun? I'm like, same, (laughs) except I'm not a brilliant poet. Sad, but I am a podcaster now. Um, So it's a a place to ask questions and have, I think, really interesting conversations. And for me to put the journalism degree that I was working on in college before I dropped out for a TV show. Whoops. Sorry, Mom. Um, I dropped my journalism (laughs) degree. Did you? To do theater. Oh, see, I left the theater program, was doing a journalism degree, and then actually left to act. So, Do you know what's even sadder? I completed my journalism degree. Well. Guys, what am I doing with it now? Well, we're doing podcasts is what we're doing. I I know, right. And they're amazing. Like, I love this space to be able to just talk and get in it. And for me, you know, I use my Instagram like a news channel. It just gives me a longer form way to have these conversations and to welcome audiences in for all of us, I look at these tables as a way to spend privilege because mm-hmm. not everybody gets to sit across from the people that we get to sit across from, mm-hmm. but we can offer that space to anyone who's curious or wants to learn. So, Speaking of one of those people, I have never sat across from John Favreau because he is banned from Keep It. Persona non grata. <laughs> Persona yes. non grata. What did he do? Did he shit on your floor like a Johnny Depp? No, he, <laughs> he hit me with his car. <gasps> no, he did not. You know, he's a villain. He's just a Melrose Place villain. Uh, Wait, what do you mean he hit you with his car? I mean... Accidentally? I mean, I think he tried to kill me. This wow. is a long-running bit that w- is not slowing Wait. anytime soon. I'm okay, sorry cool. we, had, we used you as a forum for You it. know what? I kind of love it. I'm here for a bit. It's like, it's my job. In the world of acting, as you know, because you went into theater, like you do improv, the rule is yes and. Right. Yes. No matter what anybody throws at you, you're like, yes, and then this. You gotta, you gotta support your people. So, like, but in the case of Ira, there's no stop enabling is also an acceptable <laughs> venue. Now, okay, the guests you've had on your podcast are uh, illustrious and lovely. You've had s- you. some people we've had on, like Chelsea Handler, uh, but, but you had one of my favorite actors ever, who I think always gives a great interviews, is Henry Winkler. Mm. Do you just die for him? I just he's I just can't. the sweetest man. He's I'm from the Milwaukee, nicest, kindest man. So, um, there's a big Henry Winkler statue celebrating happy days oh my god why and also that's so cute yeah because happy days was set there wow yeah the fonz man so when you meet these people like what are you most curious about because you are an actor so i assume most of the profession is unmasked to you already i mean yes and no i'm so fascinated by how everyone has such different process and like with someone like a chelsea She's a comedian. You know, I don't do stand-up. I'm obsessed with it. I'm so curious about it. Part of me feels like I'd love to try it, but it's also like I'd love to try hot yoga, and I don't do that either. So (laughs) we'll see. I think in my own profession, it's interesting to talk to people about, you know, how they got where they are, what they believe in, what makes them tick, 
And then when I interview people who I just am so enamored with in the sort of political arena, whether it's a, you know, a Gloria Steinem or an Evan McMullen or a, a Senator Gillibrand, it's like I want to talk to these people about what it means to, you know, find your calling and to be in public service and 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 to run for office and all these all of this or or to be a political activist or an activist journalist. It's like no matter what, I think that the commonality for all of these guests I've interviewed so far is that they have incredible perspective and a story to tell, whether it's with humor or or really sort of serious data science. We need all those people and we need all their stories. Why do you do this? I, I do it because <laughs> I think it's it's fun. You know, yeah. I love nothing more than being part of the conversation. Yeah. What my friends and I are talking about off pod, I want to have that conversation with other people because I think that it's one conversations we should be having and two the space is full of not voices like mine or Mm -hmm. voices like lewis or voices like aida our other Mm co-host so you know i think that it's a great way to just sort of push information out there without feeling like it's an article without feeling like it's definitive we're allowed to disagree with each other uh and i think it's a good debate. Unfortunately, I'd be discussing this stuff anyway. So it's like you may as well record me. Same. I also sort yeah. of feel like, unfortunately, my profession is writing, but I think I am better at talking. So it's this weird indulgence mm-hmm. on my part, you know, like, oh, I get to be the shock jock I always have dreamed I could have been. <laughs> I love that. And I do love the the fact that on a podcast, you can really have a dialogue. You can debate. It. It's not all so make a decision, have an opinion, write it in, you know, carve it in stone. It's like... I like being able to get into things and and have conversations with people who think differently than I do in addition to people who agree with me. It's like it's really good for us, I think. I like that every once in a while. I mean, like sometimes I just don't need to meet difference of opinion. Like, don't be wrong. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've done a lot of work to be right over here. But yeah, (laughs) but I see what you mean. Uh, Let's talk a bit about a thing I'm very excited to talk to you about, how we first came to know you. Yes. You know, Miss Brooke Davis. Yeah. The queen Thank of One Tree you. Hill. Okay. Thank you. I mean, I hate it most every other character. Oh, who my wasn't God. You. Well, uh, that's well, very cer- kind. Well, certainly Lucas. Oh, no. You really, yeah. you just, you, you had hate. Yeah, I was never here for Lucas. Okay. I, I liked you. And Rogue I, opinion. I, I liked you and I liked Dan. <laughs> yeah. He was evil, but. Ugh, but Dan Scott was the best. How hard did we all cry when he died? I mean, come on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How hard did we laugh when his heart was eaten by, by a, dog. a dog? I just, there was a moment <laughs> where we were filming that and I was like, we've been on for too long. This show <laughs> has just been on for too long. This is Jumping the Shark. Right. It started as. To bring back the Fonz. To bring back the Fonz. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It started as a nice show about two brothers who. Were arch enemies who were arch enemies, yeah. you know, and they were on the same basketball team, and it seemed like it was a teen show that was going to be a bit more introspective, you know, mm. very emotional. And I love how it shifted into Teen Melrose Place. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, don't they all? Also, do you remember when the show first started getting that sort of attention, like when it was featured on the Soup all the time? God, kind of maybe. Yeah, I feel is like that that's when I feel like that's when people started talking about the show is like, oh, yeah. this is wild. Yeah, it got it got a little wild. I think the the writers just really were having some fun and I don't know. I mean it did. It did start as this sort of introspective thing. But also the irony, so out of all the cast members, I did the most episodes. I did hundred and eighty six of hundred and eighty seven episodes of One Tree Hill. I mean, that's a lot of TV. 
Good ratio. And, and yeah. I wasn't in, I was the one who wasn't in the pilot. And mm-hmm. we worked with this producer, Joe Davola, who, if you were a Seinfeld fan, you'd yes. know Crazy Joe Davola. Well, Crazy <laughs> Joe Davola comes from real Joe Davola, who's fucking Joe Davola because it's his favorite word and he literally inserts it like every three words in every sentence. I had done a different pilot that year for the same production company. Our pilot didn't get picked up, thankfully. What was this show about? It was a, it was like a family drama, but mm. it would have been sort of like a seventh heaven kind of, mm-hmm. which like I loved, but also I just I would have had to be this like rebellious kid in a household getting yelled at by their parents all the time, and mm-hmm. One Tree Hill was way more fun to film. Um, <laughs> and so Joe Davola, I get a call, and he's like, all these fucking characters on this show make you want to fucking kill yourself. <laughs> we need somebody to come in here and be funny and stir the pot. We're adding a new kid. You got to come in and read for it. And I was like, okay, who are you? What? Are you my <laughs> boss? Like, but he was like at the company. It was so weird. You know, I was 21. I didn't know what I was doing. So I was like, sure. Okay. So yeah, I, I went in and I read for Brooke Davis and the rest is history. How was that as a formative TV making experience? Do you still think of it as sort of the peak of your experience in TV? You've been on so many shows since then. I don't think of it as the peak. Every experience is different. Every show you're on is kind of like a relationship you've been in. Mm. You know, and like some relationships are better than others, but you stay in relationships generally for a reason. I think there are still things I'm so excited to do. You know, things I'm developing and stories that I want to tell. And I don't know. I, I don't think of it in terms like that, but... It was such an amazing experience. And, you know, as the adage goes, it was the best of times and the worst of times. Mm-hmm. It's so easy for us. We were all at uh, my friend Hillary's wedding, my, my coworker who played Peyton. And we were talking about how now we've had enough years where we just look at it and we love it. Yeah. But, like, run into any of us on the street in season seven and we were, like, ready to pull our hair out. You know? <laughs> That's just the reality of, of things. But, yeah, a lot of it was really fun and amazing and ridiculous. And some of it was horrible and we're really glad there were no like behind the scenes crews (laughs) that's always something that's interesting to me i think people kind of don't understand what happens when like a tv show sort of congeals and people are over because it just seems like the most ideal job on earth like how could somebody be over it you know how could somebody be sick what do you think happens on a tv show well i don't even think it's just what happens i think it's the actual job like people don't understand that making tv is hard when you watch an episode of television it's amazing because it was edited by professionals and it has a soundtrack. And you're like, whoa, swelling, inspiring. When you're on set, there's no air or heat running because it screws up the sound. There's no music. Everyone's working 16 to 18 hours a day and tired and cranky. And like, it's hard work. And nobody wants to hear you complain about it. But something that put it in perspective for me when I was working on my show in Chicago, my technical advisor is like a 30-year undercover Chicago cop and was like, this is the hardest shit I have ever done in my life. Mm. Like, how do you do this? And then you memorize 10 pages of lines a day? Like, what's happening here? And I was like, oh, wow, that's an interesting thing to have you say to me. I wouldn't have pegged that. But yeah, it, it is, the work is actually very tedious and requires a lot of sacrifice. And like, you miss every birthday and every mom's, you know, Mother's Day and every baby being born or whatever. So you have to love what you do, but that's also why I think it can get kind of grating. And when you're many years into a show and, you know, you read a script and you find out that a dog is going to eat a heart and you're just like, what am I doing? 
What have I done? <laughs> right. With my life? Yeah, it's your whole life. It's 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 so much of your day. <laughs> You're like, yeah. what have I done with my life? Or people then, are being chased through a cornfield by yes, a nurse like with it's an axe. In, an, in an outfit, like it's crazy. <laughs> you know, sweet Tori, but it's like now we look back on it. And, like, the dog in the heart is such a classic moment that people want to reference. And you're like, it's kind of a cult classic, whatever. I'm cool with it. <laughs> uh, speaking about still <laughs> loving the job, mm. you know, did, did you brought up um, working on Chicago PD. Mm. Uh, did you have a moment after, you know, you left the show and you talked about, you know, working in a toxic work environment. Mm-hmm. Did you have a moment where you were like, is this what I still want to be doing? Or were you able to contextualize it within the situation and be like, this was just this particular show. I mean, it definitely was that particular show. Mm -hmm. You know, we had an unpleasant experience as women on the set of One Tree Hill because our boss was just a pervert and, like, gross. But the experience I had in Chicago made One Tree Hill look like child's play. Mm -hmm. In a way, you, you have context to understand what's different. You know, I was very lucky to work for Ma- Max Muchnick and David Cohan, the Will and Grace creators, for a season of a sitcom that we did together. And that was like a dream job. I went into mm-hmm. work every day with Jimmy Burroughs and Michael Yuri and laughed my ass off, and it was a gift. Mm-hmm. And I've had jobs that are such gifts. Like, I just shot a movie with Alana Glazer that she wrote, and mm. like, it's dark. Yet it was like a party for us every day in making that stuff come alive. And and it was her set, and it was run very differently. The the pilot that I produced last year was run so differently and, and was a dream. And so, yes, it's very clear to me that it was that job. But what I've noticed since is that when I walk onto sets where I'm not necessarily in control mm-hmm. or I don't know everybody, I'm very different than I used to be. Mm-hmm. I'm not like the bubbly, effusive, like, hey, what's up, everybody? I walk in, I meet people, I sit in the corner, I observe. Mm-hmm. I like, I want to know who in the room might be bad news mm-hmm. so that I know who to avoid. And that's a new thing for me. And it's kind of sad, but mm-hmm. also I just refuse to give my power away to anybody. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, no, I'm going to do my job. I'm just maybe going to observe a little bit differently, and that's okay. And you feel that that's manageable? Like you can walk into a situation like that and and think, this will still be worthwhile for me? Depends on the situation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there have been things that I have been up for that because of things I know, I've been like, I'm not even going to go in for that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm not even going to take a meeting on that. I don't ever want to work with that person or that. Like there are just – I have different parameters now. It's kind of – unfortunate that people have to do that and and you know you see it happening over and over again one of my co-workers on one tree hill had it really bad with our boss and she didn't work for many years after that show because she didn't feel safe on a set mm. and i didn't go straight back to work after being in chicago because i really just felt uncomfortable mm-hmm. on a set and a set is supposed to be my playground i had to do some readjusting for that but again i'm i'm just unwilling to give it up and I know that when you walk into a space and you like stand in your integrity and you also have like a little bit of Brooke Davis you know I mean let's be real I built her Um, (laughs) I'm like I'll burn your fucking house down Uh, so you know I I want it to be great and I I analyze it a little bit differently since for sure Mm -hmm. what's interesting too is that a lot of that happened really before the Mm -hmm. Me Too reckoning that really rose up in Hollywood and did you find that your interactions with people within the industry might have been a little different 
pre that happening, you know, like after you had the Chicago PD incident, did you feel that some producers were maybe like, oh, well, now we can't work with her because she seems like she is speaking out, you know, before now it seems like mm. we're encouraging people to speak out. Seems like, yeah. Seems like. Yeah, <clears throat> seems like. I'm like, show me any real evidence that right? this has ever been good for <laughs> anyone to stand up to them for themselves anywhere. I mean, look what just happened to Gab Union. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you yeah. Know, like she yeah, we stood just talked up, about that. Yeah, like when a black woman is working on a set and is told that her hairstyles are too black for network TV, like, excuse me? Mm-hmm. Excuse me? And you're going to tell her she doesn't have the right to complain about that rather than, I don't know, fire the person making those remarks to her? Like, just shows you that the system is still backwards and that women who stand up for themselves are still punished. But I think that the more of us who do it and the more of us who talk about it and the more of us who are open about it, the more the system's going to have to change more quickly. Mm -hmm. I understand that those things don't happen overnight, but they should have happened a long time ago. And I know at least for me, it took me about a year to get out of my contract because mm-hmm. when you sign a TV deal, they, they own you. Like they own you for six years. And I left at the end of season four. So that took a lot of work. For me, when that happened, I left at the end of April and the, and the Harvey story and Me Too as a big sort of public movement broke in July. So it was very interesting because I was alone And then suddenly things started to change. And I realized there were people who knew, you know, when the Time's Up letter was being drafted, I was one of the first people they called to sign it. And they said, like, we know what's up. And I I thought, okay, this is good. But it's interesting that as open about my experiences and all of the incidents that I was put through as I've been, you know, I had a conversation with Dax about it Mm -hmm. on his podcast and people were like, well, now she's making claims. I was like, do you think that I can't just go back and screenshot all my tweets and my Instagram posts <laughs> yeah, about right. this? Do you think, like, just if you weren't paying attention doesn't mean I wasn't talking about it. Mm-hmm. And I remember even, you know, when I think back to my first, you know, because they make you go through on a show, and I'm sure they do this in writer's rooms, where you where you have the sexual harassment talk. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we went through our sexual harassment talk our first season in Chicago. And the, the NBCHR person comes and gives you the talk. And they tell the story of a woman who was a writer on Friends who felt like she was being targeted by really sexually explicit jokes in the writer's room. Mm -hmm. So she sued for harassment and the network beat her lawsuit claiming that the writer's room has to be this free space for inappropriate jokes to be made to find comedy. And I was like, this is the talk you're giving us before you tell us that if we're experiencing harassment, we should report it to you guys? Yeah. You're telling us about how you, like, be down. Okay, you know. You could it, use that for justification for anything, by the way. You know, it's like, well, we're making a gritty drama here. You obviously need to hear coarse jokes because the world is tough or whatever. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's just so stupid. And it's hard to engage with that. You know, we, we had just had Lizzie Kaplan on the show, and she talked about how filming Masters of Sex was mm. a different environment and things the set would probably be different now but you know that was a show about sexuality and it had a lot of nudity and yeah. sex scenes and it's like how do you engage with that in a respectful way yes in a respectful manner and i think that's what's important and i think it's the reason that so many of us in in my lane are talking about having a person on set whose job it is to oversee just that, whether that person is a trained psychologist or a sex expert or something, someone on set who can help navigate that situation because, you know, it's weird when you have to just work with all these people and their quirks and their things. You know, you don't know them. You don't know who people are going in and and you don't know if you're going to end up in the dream writer's room or a toxic writer's room. And I will never forget when we sort of circled the wagons 
after Me Too broke and um, two of the female writers on One Tree Hill had talked about their experiences with Mark Schwann, one of the women talked about how she had bent over sitting on the couch, like bent to, I think, like retie her shoe or pick something. I don't remember. And he put a soda can on the back of her head and was like, wait, see if it'll balance. And when she like held still and was like, okay, I don't want to drop it. I don't want to drop it. He was like, you know, look at that. Like back of your head's flat and made some crass joke about essentially how she could probably hold a beer for a guy while giving a blowjob. And it's like, that's disgusting, inappropriate. You probably shouldn't have touched her in the first place. But that's the joke you're going to make to a woman who you employ when you are her boss. Also, what does your wife think of that? Every like, that single part about to, that is disgusting. That you talk to the women yeah. you employ like this. And I remember the guys in the room just being like, we never knew what to say. Because if we'd step in, he'd be like, I'll oh, get a sense of humor. Or he'd, he'd throw out a thing like, do you like having a job? You know, some sort of threat. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how do you know if you're going to end up in a writer's room like yours or a writer's room like his? Mm-hmm. Truly, it's what could be worse than that situation? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm no, sure the I, answer is there are plenty of versions of worseness, but that is just so horrifying. It's just awful. You it's know. awful, and and yet it gets normalized because what was happening to me in Chicago was so normalized by everyone around me because people were afraid to upset the system that keeps the show going. And when I started talking to people who had nothing to do with the show and telling them what was going on, I mean, the look of horror on people's faces just being like have you called the police have you like that kind of response and I was going oh okay so I'm not crazy this really isn't normal but there's something about these environments where where the environment itself is the package like it gets built into this ship that has to move forward and so nobody wants to disrupt it right and I think that I'm curious to see how we start creating change in systems Mm -hmm. where Things can be fixed without people feeling like they're a threat to the system. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's why so many people are afraid to really rally or stand up or do something. And and my hope is that now some of that is changing. Even Gab being able to talk so frankly about what's going on for her right now, I don't think that would have happened a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. But I also don't see it helping her yet. Mm-hmm. I think it helps a cause, but I know that a lot of us are really sick of like being a martyr for the cause. Right, it's having like, to feel like you're staging a coup when yeah. you're in fact just speaking up for common sense or decency or I, whatever. I'm like, let's just make this a nice place to work for everyone. Well, thank you so much for being here, Sophia. <laughs> just going to end on a really light <laughs> note. <laughs> what is your favorite scene you ever did on One Tree Hill? My favorite scene I ever did? I love the one with you standing in front of the screen and like all the words of like yeah. people, uh, like takedowns and like uh, yeah. words people used to bully you. I like that scene. That's my favorite like emotional scene for sure. I like the breakup with Lucas. Which one? Weren't well, there a bunch? I know there were a bunch. I mean, there was the one after the wedding where you're mad and taking like, you're yelling oh, at yeah. him. Oh, that was a good one too. Oh, yeah. God, I had to cry so hard that day I gave myself a migraine. <laughs> um, I also really loved in the later years, there was a, just because it became like kind of a catchphrase, there was this scene where I kind of like went off on Julian and Alex mm-hmm. and I'm like, you fired, you couch, chow bitches. Like, it was a whole thing. And I just, (laughs) like, people started saying chow bitches everywhere that year, and I really loved it. A lot of iconic phrases. Chow bitches. Yeah, she had good phrases. Um, Was it you who said, stay out of it, Nick Lachey? (laughs) I don't (laughs) remember. Or was it Peyton? (laughs) I don't know. It might have been her, because I took him as a date to something. Yes. 
Oh God! And you girls are you you you're arguing, and he interjects, and oh, I yeah, remember yeah. someone says, "Stay out of it, Nick Lachey." It was one of us for sure. God. Paying dust to what's Nick. left of me. A good song. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet Nick. He was such a good sport on our show. I loved like a moment of, of personal growth for Brooke when she is like getting ready to trash Tara's cafe. Mm. And she says, it's some version of like, I used to be a bitch just for the sake of it, but now I'm a bitch for my family and friends. <laughs> and it was like such a thing where she was like, I'm growing, but I'm still going to come in here and be a nightmare to you. Uh <laughs> She was just fun. I mean, CEO, close over bros. You know? Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for being here, Favorite Sophia. position. <laughs> <laughs> that was a Lauren Conrad joke, and honestly, she made it on that podcast, and I was like, I did not know you had that sense of humor, and now I'm a fan of yours for life. <laughs> uh, when we're back, Dakota Johnson and Ellen DeGeneres. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Last week, while promoting her new movie, Peanut Butter Falcon, which I had no idea existed. Those are three words that routinely do not go together, and it seems disturbing to pair them. It sounds like a porn I would love to watch Taron Egerton in. There you are. Okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Good reference. Yeah. Drizzle that gif. <laughs> Sick. Choosy Iris. Choose Taron Egerton. I'm going to leave the room faster than you even think. <laughs> but Dakota Johnson stars in this film, and... She went on the Ellen DeGeneres show to promote it, and she ended up in one of the most tense Caucasian women situations I have seen outside of Leighton Meester in The Roommate, (laughs) Uh, talking about hand that rocked the cradle. We are talking single white female. The knives were out. The most painful thing I've ever watched, because I, I, I didn't know. Like I said, I couldn't read the room. I had no clue if she was mad at her, if it was, like, contrived. I didn't know. Ellen's mm-hmm. always trying to push jokes forward. It was painful. It holds up to repeat viewings in this way, too, because mm-hmm. I keep trying to parse the dynamic. Like, what still isn't being said? We'll get into this. Mm-hmm. To start the interview, Ellen asked about Dakota's 30th birthday party in October and said, out the gate, she came out the gate boxing, how was the party? I wasn't invited. That's like question one. 
Right. That's really crazy. By the way, like, so this is my industry, right? Like, I work on talk shows. Most interviews are very planned. You know, mm-hmm. like, the, uh, the questions are written. You know, the anecdotes are, uh, they're given time in advance to basically prepare the anecdote to make them good enough for TV, to make them entertaining. So to start on a discombobulating note such as this, if, mm-hmm. in fact, she is springing this kind of question on Dakota, is a, a wild move. And I feel like maybe they even joked back and forth a bit about it because like yeah i was prepped before i went on gobert you Mm -hmm. know and i feel like she they probably had a conversation like oh let's joke about like missing your 30th birthday like i could believe that that was at least the plan but then the conversation itself is so awkward and it makes you wonder does dakota want to kill this woman right and it makes you wonder ellen are you this bad at your job? Because an interview should not be this awkward. I bet within the plan they had, her saying I wasn't invited wasn't part of it. Mm-hmm. I bet she added that. That's my guess. And Dakota immediately shot back, actually, no, that's not the truth, Ellen. <laughs> the, A line Put it on my ages. tombstone. Put it on my tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> and also, there's something particularly fascinating about the way Dakota Johnson says it, because it's not like a, a Joaquin Phoenix type mm-hmm. uh, hostility where it's, you know, broad and obvious and brash. She is unbothered. It's, right. Yeah. It is a murmur. But she also has this like blase innocence to her. She's yeah. not, I don't even think she's coming for Ellen Right, like it's that. not she's provocative. Like, yeah. it's like, she's a truth teller. She yes. knows. You were invited, she said. And she added that she wanted to make sure to invite Ellen because last time I was on the show, last year, you gave me a bunch of shit about not inviting you but I didn't even know you wanted to be invited, which LOL, because I feel like Ellen would love to be at every celebrity's party, regardless of whether she likes them. She's just that kind of person. Mm -hmm. I feel like Ellen's life is just in pursuit of another dance floor. She's like, where can I go to (laughs) To impose? Yeah. There's also something about the tone of that sentence in particular, where she, where Dakota Johnson's saying, why would you care about me? Like we normally wouldn't mix, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm, 30. Yeah. You're Ellen. You're Ellen. <laughs> Did you think that you would talk to my mom, Melanie Griffith, there? Yeah. Would right. Is it to, about Melanie? Would you talk to Don Johnson about Knives Out? Right. Yeah. I, 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 I don't know why Ellen would be at Dakota Johnson's birthday party. That is always a funny thing about celebrity birthdays to me. There's always just a huge guest list, right? Yeah. And I'm a person, like, you've been to my birthday, Louis. Like, mm. I'm a person who loves inviting a lot of the people that I know and, and even just friendly with in L.A. Mm. But a lot of times I feel like celebrity parties are full of people who aren't even fucking friends. No, You're right. just there because, oh, it's Dakota Johnson's birthday. It's Let me go kick it. But I'm like, do y'all kick it? Yeah. Birthdays are part of the job. Yeah. yeah. You know, and an essential part of the job, I guess. And Ellen said, well, who wouldn't want to be invited to a party? And Dakota, like, laughs it off saying, I didn't even know you liked me. And Ella said, of course I like you. You knew I liked you. You've been on the show many times, and I don't show like. That is a very intimidating thing to say. Also, just Why is she talking like Baby Yoda? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, show like. like, I don't show like? Like, what? (laughs) Something in Dakota's comment is opening up the possibility that Ellen has a secret list of people she doesn't like or something. So I feel like there's something extra sinister there. Maybe even on accident. Again, is she coming for her? Who can say? Which is the undercurrent of why this took the internet by storm. We have to mention, of course, that there are many stories from people 
inside the industry about the fact that Ellen is not nice. Mm-hmm. And I'm often conflicted about how meaningful that should be to me. Like, I'm not, like, if she, if she were outright rude and toxic, obviously there are problems there. But at the same time, like, for example, this is just the name that's coming to mind. If you heard that Robert Downey Jr. were a complete asshole on whatever the set yep, of whatever movie he was sense. on, would you care? No. I mean, it wouldn't even stay in the headlines. You know I what would I mean? expect him to be an asshole. And I look at Ellen, I'm like, okay, I get that your facade or your personality to the world is I'm a happy-go-lucky, fun lesbian. Yeah. But you've been famous since you were, like, 25. I don't expect you to have a rounded-out personality and to understand social cues anymore. Right. I, I really would, don't. I would say that... I hate people who are assholes in a work environment where they make it impossible for you to work with them. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. But if she were a fun asshole, like like the Constance Wu stuff, I yeah. find that funny yeah. yeah, and amusing. But the stories that we often hear about Ellen don't seem in the amusing way. Right. So that's why I feel like the internet jumped on this story. Right. There's th- What's happening here is people want something to be confirmed, and they mm-hmm. want, they're using this interview to find clues to confirm it. Yes, and it also ties in with the fact that the date of the birthday party was the weekend that Ellen was with George W. Bush that is at the Dallas Cowboys-Packer game. <laughs> could that, I mean, could it be more perfect? It couldn't be. Now, see, that, um, I mean, again, I, I, I'm sure it's just coincidence. Feels but contrived. Not, but no, saying, I'm right there with you. Dakota, it's like, that almost feels like a sting. Exactly. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I remember in the interview, she looks up at the producer, and she's like, well, why didn't I go? You know? And Dakota says, ask your producer, Jonathan. <laughs> Which is a wild, awesome move. I, I laughed when she was like, I invited you. Ask everybody. <laughs> yeah. You're like, everybody. you're surrounded, Ellen. And Your they're cutting team. to producers. And like, yeah, yeah, uh, you yeah. were invited. You had that thing. <laughs> Though it was also interesting because then there was a camera on the producer. Mm-hmm. So that almost makes me think that was planned. Too. Exactly. Because, yeah. You know, You're totally right. So I don't know, actually, if they were going for a particular, like, you know, a saucy dynamic and it wasn't supposed to trickle into hostility, mm-hmm. and yet it did. I don't know. The best part of the interview, I would say, is the second half, which did not get enough circulation. It was when Ellen asks about Tig Notaro performing at the birthday party. <laughs> and Dakota says, Tig is my favorite comedian, <laughs> other than you. <laughs> and Ellen asks, oh, what, what did Tig do? And... Dakota's like, she did a set. She's right. a fucking comedian yeah, like what you. Did you mean, what did she do? She blew up balloons, Ellen. I mean, like, what else? Yeah. <laughs> Ellen then jabs back with a comment about her favorite actress, Jennifer Aniston. That's a funny joke. It's fine. It is. Ellen ain't watching the morning show. Yeah, not at all. <laughs> don't ask her to set up Apple TV Plus. She Look, don't know. Looking at Jennifer Aniston, stare at herself in mirrors and go, <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> And Reese be named someone named Bradley Jackson. Yeah. Which, uh, with, brain cells with, fall out of your face when you say the name Bradley Jackson. She is going hard to play a gender-swapped Jackson Maine. Quite. In the morning show. Uh, it also ends with a clip from a previous episode where Dakota's co-star, Shia LaBeouf, named her as his best on-screen kiss and then said he was lying. And Dakota says, classic. And then they go to a commercial break. The whole thing... Everyone's felt like personality. An, it felt like an Ionesco play. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> right. And was that clip stay Again, when you watch Ellen's Game of Games and you see the joy she takes in sort of, you know, springing someone through the roof or scaring them or whatever, you do wonder if there's an extra bit of joy she gets in keeping people on their toes, so to speak. 
You know, so when she shows a clip like that to Dakota Johnson is the intention. Gotcha. Wow. I think we can officially say we're now Dakota Johnson Hive. Uh, yes. And by the way, I have been for a little while. Yeah. Uh, first of all, if you've not ever like seen the it, crazy fans who love her for Fifty Shades specifically. No. I like her other presences in film. It's like a Kristen Stewart situation where she's unfortunately known for the worst things she's ever done. Mm-hmm. And But if you ever watch A Bigger Splash, she's so good in that with mm-hmm. um, Ray Fiennes. Uh, it's a movie directed by Luca Guadagnino, who, of course, did Call Me By Your Name. And then another Luca Guadagnino movie. Suspiria. Suspiria which I don't love. That movie is too leaden to me. Can I admit? I actually haven't seen it. Oh. Because it's longish? I know. I love Luca, but dur- I was out of the country when it was released last year. And also, I am such a huge fan of the original Suspiria mm-hmm. that I, it was taking me a moment just to get into it. But I'm going to watch it. I would describe it as expectedly grotesque. Like, you know what direction it's going in right at the beginning. It's so insane and unfortunately predictably gory. But she, at the center of the movie, at first feels like she's just going to be a cipher and then turns out to run this fucking movie. I would compare it to Vicky Creeps and Phantom Thread in that way, where it's mm. like, wow, you're the bitch in this fucking movie. That's great. I can't wait to see it. You will. You'll like it. Uh, when we're back... Keep it. And we're back with an all-new segment called Keep It. It's brand new. Never uh-huh. done it before. Oh, my God. I'm so glad we're trying it. Yes. Lewis, what is your keep it this week? This is a almost populist keep it. There's not a person on earth who wouldn't say keep it to this damn thing. To that amazing Peloton ad we were all just <laughs> subjected to the other day. If you haven't seen it, it's just a 30-second normal commercial for Peloton, which is a cult involving riding a bicycle in place. Um, uh, it's like the new Soul Cycle, but you do it at home, and instructors sort of end up feeling like your friends or something. It sounds a little scary to me. But okay, anyway, the Peloton commercial works like this. A woman goes home. She already has a frantic look on her face. Something is up with this woman. <laughs> she hasn't been exercising. That's right. It's Every woman yeah. who doesn't exercise feels frantic. There's something, the look in her eyes is, I've eaten the bad berries. That's where we're at. <laughs> she gets a present from her husband, and the present is an exercise bike. Already the toxicity looms. What's happening here? What kind of relationship is going on? This is unacceptable. She starts riding this damn bike every day. And the look on her face can only be described as, I'm so excited, I'm so excited, I'm so scared from Saved by the Bell. (laughs) She is a panting, hyperventilating wolverine on this bike in her, like, magenta yoga pants. That They start flash-forwarding ahead, and she's like, I've been doing the bike for six days now, like, trying to please her husband. And we don't see much of the husband. We don't know how happy he is yet. She keeps paddling. She keeps paddling. And then finally, at the end, she's, like, taking selfies of herself on the bike. A rabid animal. This woman is out of control. She hasn't eaten in months, okay? (laughs) She is Brittany Murphy and don't say a word. Quite, yes, quite. (laughs) Except she's not whispering. She's screaming. Isn't that the movie where she's like, I'll never tell. I'll never tell. Right. All she's doing, she is telling in this case and panting. Um, Finally, she like meets her goal for the month or whatever. And she's sitting with her husband who has the faintest look of satisfaction on his face. Not even full out approval. Just like a smile that his wife, one, quote unquote, enjoyed her gift. And two, is now married to this motherfucking Peloton and has no life outside of it. Anyway, it is very toxic. It is her performance in the commercial is so comedically intense to me while pretending she is having a good time, which is 
unfortunately, very, very hilarious. And I will be watching this with my family over the break when I go home for Christmas. It is a true delight and truly scary. And guys, don't give, I'm going to quote Aaron Gloria Ryan here, just don't give an exercise bike to your spouse. Don't do it. I say no to that. (laughs) Aida, what's your keep it? My keep it is specifically for, all my keep it's end up being for men that have made me mad. Oh. But this one is for a dead man. Sir Doc Martin. I'm so irritated. I bought a pair of platform Doc Martens maybe six months ago. I've been wearing them every few weeks, I think. I was like consistently for the past few months. And my feet look like the leather on the shoe. Do you wow. see? Because the, the, the shoes are so constricting. The shoes are so difficult to break in. It takes months and months at a time. And you have to be very consistent about it. And my feet are just now scabbing and scarring. And scabbing and scarring over and over again. And I have to wear double socks? It's ridiculous. It shouldn't be this difficult to break in a pair of Doc Martens. I'm wearing double socks. My feet are scabbed. I feel like a chimney sweep. Okay? (laughs) This is a Mary Poppins-ass pain that I'm feeling for no reason. That's like the hardest rubber imaginable. It's it's, like Boeing, airplane tires, insanity. They are. I have a pair of Doc Martens, and they are truly insane to even put on. Insane to tie and clomping around in New York City in them. They don't even even have a good soul to keep you from slipping in the snow. So I really don't know the point in wearing Doc Martens unless you're Daria's best friend. Yeah. It's a militaristic Ronald McDonald shoe. That's what it is. If if he were (laughs) headed off to the Marines, he would be wearing this shoe. It's a utility boot with, that causes me no utility. Do you know what I mean? Right. I feel like California doesn't even have earthquakes. We just have a large population of indie kids stomping around in these giant-ass Doc Martens. And that's what the earthquakes actually are. <laughs> and yet, what goes better with a pair of hoop earrings than Doc Martens? That is very the true. look, ladies and that's gentlemen. Very, very Take true. me back to 94. Just keep it. Fix it. Make, it. make something happen. I'm done. I'm done being in pain to look okay. To look mediocre in boots. And then I'm like hobbling around. I... Ugh. I'm worried about your feet. It you bothers me. You really should You're trying be. your best over there. I'm sorry. Your turn, Ira. Sorry to these feet. Sorry to these feet. <laughs> My keep it this week is to the ever-growing, never-ending discourse around Queen and Slim. Speak on it. If you have not seen or heard of the movie, it is Lena Waif's new film directed by Melina Mitsukas. It stars Jodie Turner-Smith and Daniel Kaluuya, and it is about a black, I want to call them couple, but they're not a couple in the opening (laughs) because they meet on a Tinder date, and then they accidentally shoot a cop in self-defense and then go on the run. People have called it a version of Bonnie and Clyde. You know, Lena has referred to it sort of as a reverse underground railroad because they're traveling to the South to try to escape to Cuba. She's compared it to The Wizard of Oz, which makes sense because there are many points in the film where they are traveling to freedom, to freedom, and <laughs> just stop and dawdle. Uh, like, let me ride a horse or uh, let me ride out the window of my car in moments that really do not make sense. And I would say, though, that I liked 70% of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's just 30% of it that, a little, f- a few ridiculous moments, and also I'm not a huge fan of the ending. Um, not going to spoil it, but you know, it's you can assume probably what the ending is going to be. It's a dark movie. Uh, I would say that the discourse that's annoying me is on both sides of the aisle. I'm really appreciating writers like Brooke Obi, Angelica Bastian, uh, Clarkisha Kent, who are writing beautiful, 
reviews of this film. Uh, three black women writing fantastic reviews of this film, critiques that are necessary to read. They're great companion pieces to Carvel Wallace's piece in the New York Times, which is also beautiful, but that is a perspective from a black man. So it's it's nice seeing them all in conversation with each other, you know? And I wish that we could just have that conversation with one another instead of the one side of people who are saying the film is anti-black and saying like the film deserves to not be made and we should like burn it. And uh, the other side, which is attacking these film reviewers for critiquing a film because it's black art and we shouldn't put each other down. We should all uplift. And I'm sorry, that shit don't make no sense to me. Not yeah, what does anti-black mean in this case? I don't understand. Just, you know, because it's sort of like a Black Lives Matter sort of film. And there's a lot of things when you see it are things that would repel some black people and mm-hmm. triggering in some ways that a white audience might not see. Yeah. I think that also the fear is, I've heard a lot of people critique it and saying that it's black trauma porn. Mm-hmm. Like we keep continuing to make slave movies like Harriet or we keep making movies about Black people getting in situations with cops, and we're like, we're right, done with this. It. Hate you give, American son. We also need to give black people the space, and I don't think that this movie was bad. I actually really enjoyed this movie. But even if it were a bad movie, we need to give black people the space to make bad movies, mm-hmm. to make things that aren't necessarily the correct thing to say in the zeitgeist, because that's how we grow from things. How mm-hmm. many times have we seen Nazi films? Yeah, white people are allowed to make a million Nazi, Nazi films, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. So let us make our cop movies until they're all dried out, and we don't have anything else to say about them. But it, for now, there's still a lot of commentary to be made. Right. And also, like, have you noticed the career of Adam Sandler? I mean, how many times has he gotten the sentiments <laughs> wrong in this lifetime? You uh, know what I'm saying? You know, I would love to see more black romantic films. There's Atlantics, which is on Netflix. Mm-hmm. See that movie. Fantastic. I have to see that. I'm see, so sad I haven't see seen it yet. that movie. But also, yeah, we need to give black creators the space to stumble, to make the stories that they want to tell. And I think that that's the way that we keep getting better films. You know, uh, there are plenty of avenues for black romance, and I hope that we can get them post this movie. I, I will say that, yes, a lot of complaints were saying that this isn't a love story as it's touted as. You know, it's a traumatic porn story. And I compared it to Beale Street, If Beale Street Could Talk, which I thought was a beautifully romantic film, which also deals with a bit of trauma in the black community. But even some people don't want any of that trauma in it. They want to just have like a fucking good time, you know? Like, that's why I love movies like Beyond the Lights, you know, or like a Jason's Lyric. And it's reminding me a lot of the Harriet discourse where Mm -hmm. people were coming for Casey Lemons without having even seen the movie. And I'm like, we're not going to disrespect the director of Ease Bayou like that. (laughs) Okay, Lewis. (laughs) You thought I was going to? Ease Bayou. You know, two iconic women in that movie. It's been forever since I've seen Eve's bio. I saw it at the time. Like, mm. what was that, 1998? Seven? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, it has Journey Smollett in it right. and Megan Good, but I'm talking about Diane Carroll. Yes, of course. And, R.I.P. And Lynn Whitfield. Another legend. Yes, in the same movie. God. When we can see more of that. Uh, if you want to see Lynn Whitfield, you got to tune in to Greenleaf, <laughs> which is fun. I love Greenleaf. But anyway, that's why I keep it. Thanks again to Sophia Bush, and we'll hear you next week. Keep It is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Rustin is our producer. It's Caroline like the princess, the one you don't care about. 
Our editor is Bill Lance, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thanks to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Nadine Melkonian, for filming and editing our video content every week. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com podcast25.